Chapter Twenty Four of the Harbor of Doubt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Harbor of Doubt by Frank Williams. Chapter Twenty Four The Siren. He saw the glad smile on her lips, the light in her great lustrous dark eyes, and the beauty of her faultless body and yet they all faded to nothing beside the astounding and inexplicable fact that she was in the mystery schooner. "'You here!' he gasped, taking her hands in his big rough ones and gripping them tight. The impulse to draw her to him in an embrace was almost irresistible, for not only was she lovely in the extreme, but she was from Freekirk Head and home and his soul had been starved with loneliness and the ceaseless repetition of his own thoughts. "'Yes,' she replied in her gentle voice. "'I am here. You are surprised?' "'That hardly expresses it,' he returned. "'So many things have happened today that I expect anything now.' "'Come, let us go in.' she said, and led him through a doorway that connected with an adjoining room. In the center of it was a small table laid with linen and furnished with glittering silver and glass. "'Are you hungry?' she asked. "'You know fishermen well enough not to ask that,' he laughed, and they sat down. Elsa did not make any tax upon his conversational powers. It was Code himself who first put a pertinent question. "'I take for granted your being here and your living like this,' he said. "'But I am bursting with curiosity. How do you happen to be in this schooner?' "'It is my schooner. Why shouldn't I be in it?' she smiled. "'Yours?' he was mystified. "'But why should you have a vessel like this?' You never used one before that I know of. True, Code, but I have always loved the sea, and it amuses me. You remember that sometimes I have been away from Freekirk Head for a month at a time. I have been cruising in this schooner. Once I went nearly as far as Iceland, but that took longer. A woman in my position must do something. I can't sit up in that great big house alone all the time. The intensity with which she said this put a decidedly new face on the matter. It was just like her to be lonely without Jim, he thought. Naturally, a woman with all her money must do something. But, Elsa, he protested, your having the schooner for your own use is all right enough. But why has it always turned up to help me when I needed help most? Really, if I had all the money in the world, I could never repay the obligations that you have put me under this summer. I don't want you to repay me, she said quietly. Just the fact that I have helped you and that you appreciate it is enough to make me happy. He looked steadily into her brown eyes for a few moments. Then her gaze dropped, and a dull flush mounted from her neck until it suffused her face. He had never seen her look so beautiful. The wealth of her black hair was coiled about the top of her head like a crown, 
and held in its depths a silver butterfly. Her gown was Quaker gray in color, and of some soft clinging material that enhanced the lines of her figure. It was an evening gown, and cut just low enough to be at the same time modest and beautiful. Code, without knowing why, admired her taste and told himself that she erred in no particular. Her mode of life was, at the same time, elegant and feminine, exactly suited her. "'You are easily made happy,' he remarked, referring to her last sentence. "'No, I'm not,' she contradicted him seriously. "'I am the hardest woman in the world to make happy.' "'And helping me does it?' "'Yes.' "'You are a good woman,' he said gratefully, "'and always seem to be doing for others. "'No one will ever forget how you offered to stand by the women of Grande Mignon "'while the men went fishing.' "'Again Elsa blushed, but this time the color came from a different source.' Little did he know that her philanthropy was all a part of the same plan, to win his favor. "'And the things I know you must have done for my mother,' he went on. "'Those are the things that I appreciate more than any. It is not every woman who would even think of them, let alone do them.' "'Why would he force her into this attitude of perpetual lying?' she thought. It was becoming worse and worse. Why was he so straightforward and so blind? Could he not see that she loved him? Was he one of those cold and passionless men upon whom no woman ever exerts an intense influence? Though she did not know it, she expressed the whole fault in her system. A man reared in a more complex community than a fishing village would have divined her scheme, and the result would have been a prolonged but most delightful duel of wits and hearts. But Code, by the very directness of his honesty and simplicity of his nature, cut through the gauzy wrappings of this delectable package and went straight to its heart. And there he found nothing because what little of the deeply genuine there lay in this woman's restless nature was disguised and shifted at the will of her caprice. When Code had experienced the pleasure of lighting a genuine clear Havana cigar after many months of abstinence, she leaned across the table to him, her hands clasped before her. "'Code, what does loneliness represent to you?' she asked. "'Oh, I don't know,' he temporized, taken aback. "'I don't go in for loneliness much. "'But when I do, why, all I want is, well, let me see. "'A good game of quoits with the boys in front of the church, "'or a talk with my mother about how rich we are going to be some day "'when I get that partnership in the fish stand. "'I'm too busy to be lonely.' "'And I'm too lonely to be busy.' He looked at her unbelievingly. "'You!' he cried. "'Why, you have everything in the world. You can go anywhere, do anything, have the people about you that you want. 
You lonely? I don't understand you. Well, I'll put it another way. Did you ever want something so hard that it hurt and couldn't get it? Yes, I wanted my father back after he died, said Code simply. And I wanted Jim after he died, added Elsa. Those things are bad enough, but one gets used to them. What I mean especially is something we see about us all the time and have no chance of getting. Did you ever want something like that so that it nearly killed you and couldn't get it? Code was silent. The one rankling hurt of his whole life, after seemingly being healed, broke out afresh. The engagement of Nat Burns and Nellie Tanner. He suddenly realized that, since seeing Elsa, he had not as much as remembered Nellie's existence, when usually her mental presence was not far from him. Elsa, with all her luxury and alluring feminine charms, seemed to cast a spell that bound him helpless, like the music in the fairy stories. He liked the spell, and after all she had done, he confessed to an extraordinary feeling for the enchantress. Now had come the memory of Nellie, dear, frank-eyed, open-hearted Nellie Tanner, and the thought that her fresh wholesomeness was pledged to make glad the life of Nat Burns seared his heart. A cloud settled down on his brow, but in a moment he recalled himself. His hostess had asked him a question. He must answer it. "'Yes, I have wanted something and couldn't get it.' "'Yes,' said Elsa slowly. "'A thing is bad enough. But it seems to me that the most hopeless thing in the world is to want a person in that way.' Her voice was dreamy and retrospective. Its peculiar, vibrant timber thrilled him with the thought that perhaps there was some hidden tragedy in her life that he had never suspected. Any unpleasant sense that she was curious was overcome by the manner in which she spoke. "'Yes, it is,' he answered solemnly. She looked up in astonishment at the sincerity of his tone, her heart tingling with a new emotion of delicious uncertainty. What if, after all, he had wanted someone in the way she wanted him? What if the someone were herself, and he had been afraid to aspire to a woman of her wealth and position? She asked this without any feeling of conceit, for one who loves always dreams he sees signs of favor in the one beloved. Then you have wanted someone? All her manner, her voice, her eyes expressed sympathy. She was the soul of tact and no mean actress at the same time. Code, still in the depth of reminiscence and averted happiness, scarcely heard her, but he answered, Yes, I have. Then, coming to full realization of the confession, he colored and laughed uneasily. "'But let's not talk of such personal things any more,' he added. 
You must think me very foolish to be mooning about like this. Can I help you? she asked, half suffocated by the question. Perhaps there might be something I could do that would bring the one you want to you. It was the crucial point in the conversation. She held her breath as she awaited his answer. She knew he was no adept at the half-meanings and near-confessions of flirtation, and that she could depend upon his words and actions to be genuine. He looked at her calmly without the additional beat of a pulse. His color had died down and left him pale. He was considering. "'You have done much for me,' he said at last, "'and I shall never forget it. But in this matter even you could not help me. Only the Almighty could do it by direct intervention, and I don't believe he works that way in this century.' Code smiled faintly. As for Elsa, she felt the grip as of an icy hand upon her heart. It was someone else that he meant. Was it possible that all her carefully planned campaign had come to this miserable failure? Had she come this far only to lose all? The expression of her features did not change and she sought desperately to control her emotion, but she could not prevent two great tears from welling up in her eyes and slowly rolling down her cheeks. Code sat startled and nonplussed. Only once before in his life had he seen a woman cry, and that was when Nellie broke down in his mother's house after the fire. But the cause for that was evident, and the very fact of her tears had been a relief to him. Now, apparently without rhyme or reason, Elsa Mallaby was weeping. The sight went to his heart as might the scream of a child in pain. He wondered with a panicky feeling whether he had hurt her in any way. "'I say, Elsa,' he cried, "'what's the matter? Don't do that.' If I've done anything... He was on his feet and around the little table in an instant. He took her left hand in his left and put his right on her shoulder, speaking to her in broken, incoherent sentences. But his words, gentle and almost endearing, emphasized the feeling of miserable self-pity that had taken hold of her, and she suddenly sobbed aloud. "'Elsa, dear!' he cried, beside himself with uncertainty. "'What is it? Tell me. "'You've done so much for me. "'Please let me do something for you if I can.' "'You can't, Code,' she said, "'unless it's in your heart.' And then she bowed her beautiful head forward upon her bare arms and wept. After a while the storm passed, and she leaned back. He kissed her suddenly. Then he abruptly turned to the door and went out. Schofield had suddenly come to his senses and disengaged himself from Elsa's embrace. End of chapter 24 Recording by Roger Moline